If you love scratches from the Virginia Lottery, you'll love the high roller blackjack scratcher with a chance to win up to 10 times your prize. Look for it at your favorite Virginia Lottery retailer. In fact, you can drive there right now. Now that's an everyday win. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 4.16. Contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Got a special guest. It's the CEO of SeatGeek. They're changing the way we buy tickets. They're taking on Ticketmaster. They are disruptors in the field. His name is Jack Retzinger. He's a young guy. You'll hear all about him. He's a disruptor. I like him. He's an algorithm-based, numbers-based, data-based. What they're doing at SeatGeek is really special. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. This is something where you're going to find the right candidates not through job boards, but through LinkedIn. You'll find the person who will help you grow your business at LinkedIn. People go there every day, as you know, grow professionally, and look for job opportunities. Now, 9 out of 10 members on LinkedIn, they're not going to job boards, but they are open to new opportunities, and you can reach them only on LinkedIn. That's why a new hire is made every 10 seconds on LinkedIn, and businesses rate LinkedIn 40% higher then job boards at getting them the right and the quality candidates. So that's the way to find jobs. Go to LinkedIn. Hurry to LinkedIn.com slash BOS. That's business of sports. It's BOS, all caps, BOS. Get $50 off your first job post. That's LinkedIn.com slash BOS. Get $50 off your first job post. Again, LinkedIn.com slash BOS, all caps. Terms and conditions apply Go to LinkedIn, the right way to find the quality candidates for your jobs. Jack, welcome to the Business of Sports podcast. Thanks, Andrew. Um, great to be here. Great to have you, and uh, really impressed with what you've done so far. I want to sort of take us up there. Uh, you're a young guy, and I think a lot of people want to know how you got to where you are. So giving you a blank canvas, sort of take us up from the past to where you are now before we get into the nitty-gritty of uh, SeatGeek. Yeah, um, so I went to uh, Dartmouth College with uh, one of my co-founders, Russ, and to us, you know, we're good friends. We're both living in Boston after we graduated um, and um, kind of fooling around with different ideas for, for tech startups. Both of us were, uh, were programmers. Um, and this is around the time when all of the Boston sports teams were just winning everything. Um, I think they won three of the four major titles that year. So we were, um, you know, as big sports fans and people who um, enjoy uh, making money on the Internet, we were, we were uh, you know, really just for fun brokering and, and buying and selling a few um, sports tickets and thought we were geniuses because we were making money when, in fact, I'm sure it was just the, the prices for everything was going up because – of the uh, Boston success, but uh, we did get really familiar with uh, the, the market, particularly the secondary ticket market through that. And honestly, we're just blown away by a few things, you know, by the inefficiency and lack of transparency, by the bad user experiences kind of being thrust upon folks. Um, and as people who you know, enjoy building things on the internet, we figured, you know, maybe we can do a little bit better than this. And so where, where did that idea come from, and what was kind of the inflection point of making SeatGeek happen? So initially, we were very focused on data, and specifically just, right. just making the process more transparent, because you know, it's still something our industry suffers from. People often don't know exactly what they're paying, and they don't often know exactly what they're getting either. You know? um, so we 
a lot of time building analytics to just help people understand this is what you're paying and this is either a good deal or it's a bad deal um, so that you could hopefully, you know, leave the, the process of buying a ticket to a game or a show feeling like you didn't just get ripped off. So tell us, I mean, we all hear the word aggregates, and I think that's what SeatGeek does. It aggregates tickets from around the web, from sports to concerts to theater to, to find the best process. I'm sorry, the best prices and the seats available. Uh, that's the, the general understanding. Is there something deeper you can tell us about how that works? Yeah, you know, it's, it, we actually don't think of ourselves as an aggregator as much as just a, a marketplace where huh. there's you know, thousands of sellers all listing on SeatGeek. There, there's thousands of buyers. And it gets a little bit semantic, but, you know, aggregator would often imply that you're sort of being uh, kicked off to buy elsewhere. When, in fact, the, part of the beauty of SeatGeek is that you don't have to go elsewhere, and it's incredibly dead simple, easy to just buy the tickets to sort of identify the very few best deals where you're going to get the best bang for your buck. And with a few taps, have that ticket on your on your phone. Um, and, and the really interesting thing that we've seen is that ease makes it possible to make much more spontaneous last-minute decisions. So whereas, you know, a decade ago, you maybe needed to plan you know, six months in advance to go see a game, um, you can now make that decision the day of and still get a great deal and, you know, get in uh, with the CQ cap. And you and Russ had this idea, and obviously it sounds like a, a great idea, a lot of disruption in the marketplace. How about the funding? Where'd that come from? How'd you grow over the years? Yes, yeah, so we've we've raised about $165, $170 million up to this point. Um, but honestly, you know, never... Uh, I see funding as a means to an end, not the end. And, and early on, we're very resistant to raising more uh, more than we had to. So we, you know, for our first really four or five years, only raised a few million bucks. We're very lean. Um, we had a very early mobile app in the App Store. Um, and it was really traction around that that inspired us to get you know more aggressive with raising funding. Because we, we had this dynamic where... It just felt like we had, you know, far away the best product in the app store. We were able to, to buy, um, you know, sort of acquire users via paid acquisition and wanted to be able to do it faster. Um, and at that point, we're limited by how much money we'd raise, so we raised a bit more. And does this obviously start with family and friends? Have you gone Silicon Valley route? How, how has the funding been happening? Yeah, so we, we started off with... Uh, by raising money from a few angels. Uh, we then raised money from a really outstanding um, early-stage fund called Founder Collective, which is based in Boston. Mm-hmm. And then more recently, we have, have rounds um, from some of the best in um, Silicon Valley. So that's a uh, fund called Excel, uh, Technology Crossover Ventures, and Glean Capital have, have led our last few rounds. So as we move to the present, you got a lot going on. I saw recently a partnership with Snapchat, and to me that looked like an obvious tie-in that seems like something we're going to see more in the industry, open ticketing and, and just using partners like that to get the word out. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the, the Snapchat partnership is part of a really much broader and important uh, line of business for us, which is our enterprise business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so talking earlier about SeatGeek, um, SeatGeek's consumer experience, but around two years ago at this point, we decided to make a leap to launching um, what we call SeatGeek Enterprise, which is a uh, you know, basically set of different pieces of software that are offered to teams and venues to do all of the primary ticketing for, uh, for their venue. Um, and it, it does it in sort of a foundationally different way than 
legacy primary ingredient companies, with the big difference being openness. Um, so, you know, whereas with, with a legacy ticketer, you, you might only be able to sell through that legacy ticketer's website. We're big believers that a team or a venue should be able to sell, inter- uh, sell tickets across the whole internet, you know, wherever they want. Um, and it ultimately really should be up to them. Um, and that enables integrations like the, the Snapchat um, deal that you mentioned where, you know, for LAFC, new, new you know, really outstanding uh, MLS team in LA, they were able to sell tickets to their fans on Snapchat in a way that they wouldn't be able to do with a, a legacy ticketing company that is embracing kind of a channel exclusive model. How's that? How were they able to do that? Well, so it's fundamentally just a different business model. So whereas the old model is, is centered around um, piping tickets to a single website, we use a set of APIs that any third-party distribution outlet you know, can use to ultimately um, tap into and, and sell tickets. It takes uh, the consent of the team. So obviously, you know, um, there were a distribution partner that a team didn't work with. It's not like they can take sell tickets to the team, but. As long as the team can move through tickets through, you know, any given website, any given app, um, Tiki Open, just uh, the name of our enterprise product is, is there to support it. And is the marketplace open to you with the leagues? You talked about LAFC. I know you have deals with the Cowboys and the Saints and the Pelicans. Uh, I think a lot of people don't know about whether this is something you can pick off teams individually. You have to go through leagues. Uh, talk about your business acquisition model in terms of how you get to these teams. Yeah, it's a really good question. I would say for the most part, um, you know, in the United States, it, it's still ultimately a team decision. So right. it's, it's us, you know, building relationships with individual teams, um, mutually agreeing to, you know, for CTK Enterprise to be their ticketing platform and then moving them over. Um, with that said, you know, leagues will have different structures that will make it um, – We'll streamline things further for for teams. So for us, um, we're really stoked to be official partners of two leagues, which is the NFL and Major League Soccer. Um, with the NFL, we're one of three ticketing partners they have as part of their kind of new approach to uh, more open ticketing. Um, and with Major League Soccer, we're the single uh, official ticketing mm-hmm. platform of the league. So on the NFL model, they have three companies, as you mentioned, you're one of them, and the teams are free to do individual deals with any of the three or even someone outside the three? Um, so the way that works is the, the league has sort of chosen um, you know, multiple parties to be distribution partners. In, in the case of the NFL, it's currently um, ourselves, SeatGeek, and then also StubHub and Ticketmaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of those official league partners then have the ability to um, sort of, you know, reissue and verify tickets through the primary platform of, of each individual team. Um, and there's, there's also sort of an opportunity for those distribution partners to get um, an allocation of primary tickets from the team when they're available and sell them directly to fans. So, it, you know, broadly stepping back a little bit, we see it interesting because, um, you know, when we launched Seeky Open a few years ago, the sort of notion of open ticketing was pretty brand new and a little bit uncomfortable in um, in the ticketing industry. Um, and over the last two years, it's seen really incredible momentum um, with more and more teams and now leagues embracing that, kind of culminating with the NFL, making a, it was really a, a big shift, a big departure mm-hmm. from how they 
um, they've done things in the past, and I think took a lot of you know really courage and creativity on behalf of leaders at the NFL. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think most people listening sort of think the. Uh, traditional model ticket master deal one deal that's how you get your tickets and now we're seeing this i don't know if it's the right word but this disruption in the marketplace first with StubHub and now with you guys in terms of more open source and it's all better for the consumer right i mean this is all about making it as you said as consumer friendly as possible and to make the user experience much more friendly yep yep i think it's that uh, you yeah. nailed it i mean what gets kind of lost is if you just have a single um, outlet to that is sort of uh, exclusively allowed to sell tickets for a team, that, that outlet loses all of the incentive they have to, to build a world-class user experience, right? So it's sort of the opposite of a competitive marketplace. Mm-hmm. Instead, that outlet knows that, you know, basically whatever they put in front of a fan, the fan has to, to accept. So that can manifest itself in different ways. It can mean that fans have, um, you know, confusing experiences on a website. It could mean that, you know, a mobile app doesn't work. It could mean that a fan gets hit with 60% fees because, you know, they don't have a choice. So the beauty of, of sort of the more open model is that it creates this competitive ecosystem where all of a sudden different companies are trying to be innovative and compete for the attention of, of fans and the kind of the ability to sell. And if you come up with a really clever or easy way to do that, then, you know, fans win and the team wins as well because they're able to move more tickets. Yeah, and I think that we brought up earlier this sort of the, this example we have with Snapchat now. It's it's this seems like a win-win where fans are discovering more events they wouldn't have known about before. Teams are able to sell more tickets. It's just kind of another uh, delivery model to get it out there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just sort of you know uh, waking up to the reality that. Uh, fans for a team can live and exist online in a lot of different places. Yeah. And if you can bring stuff right in front of them, it can be really powerful. Yeah, and segueing right right where my next question was, mobile. I mean, it seems like the, the, the wave of the future, obviously, is mobile. We have younger viewers in all sports. Everything's trending younger. Leagues, to me, league's biggest challenge right now, it's not concussions. It's not kneeling for the anthem. <laughs> Uh, the real the real challenge for every sports league is this: how to attract and maintain younger viewers. And I think you are tapping into something that's a key to that, which is mobile. Uh, just the way I see SeatGeek, it's mobile first, and uh, you see the future as mobile, don't you? Yeah, there's a few components of that. I mean, one is obviously just that younger audiences are you know, far more likely to be buying things on their phone than they are right. on a laptop. But even more fundamentally is the fact that on mobile, you can just do things that weren't possible before, right? So, um, you know, when you're living in a world where you're buying something on a laptop and then it gets shipped to you, you're sort of, it's almost just an inherent assumption in that world that you're buying pretty far in advance, right? You can't make the sort of spontaneous last minute purchase um, because it doesn't work pragmatically. Whereas in a mobile world when, you know, you can be walking past a venue and get a push notification saying there's, you know, $30 Nets tickets at, at um, you know, in the second row and with a few taps have those tickets instantly show up on your phone and scan in, you know, all of a sudden you have these use cases that just didn't exist before. Right. Um, so you know that, that gets me excited because it means that we're not just, like, uh, taking share from other companies by growing. We're, we're growing by actually enabling more people to do things live that they just weren't able to do before. So, so it's not all about just hand-to-hand combat and, you know, Seeky 
gaining users from company X. It's about all these fans doing stuff that, you know, instead they would have been just sitting home and, and doing nothing. Also, so you made some entry in the NBA as well with the New Orleans Pelicans. Is that right? Is that part of that Saints deal? I know they're owned by the same uh, same outlet. Yeah, we're working with both those teams. Um, and um, we're actually just, just going live with them now. So very excited to be uh, working with the Pelicans next year um, and also the Saints. And then, and then you've got a Premier League deal starting next year. Is that right as well? Yeah, so this, you know, we've actually had really good luck with the English Premier League. So at this point, we have uh, a quarter of the the EPL teams um, signed up on SeatGeek. Most wow. recently, we announced Man- Manchester City, mm-hmm. um, which you know, we're really thrilled about, um, and uh, we'll be going live with them very soon. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you're gaining some momentum in the industry. And I just go back to the point I made earlier, the point you made, where I sort of said a ticketing company, you said a data company. So can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, we've actually had an internal kind of cultural uh, slogan here where, you know, we consider ourselves to be a a technology company, um, not a ticketing company. And by that, I mean, like, ultimately, we are focused on building great technology, you know, using software, using data to enable teams to, you know, run their businesses better, to, to enable fans to go do more stuff, um, as opposed to be a company that sort of, you know, inherently decided in the ticket industry and then it's just going to, you know, um, deal with whatever technology they have to, but, but not really see that as an, an enabling force. Um, so, you know, ultimately, PK is going to live or die by the software we build, the platform we build, and whether or not it's the best out there and empowers, you know, more and more um, Teams of fans, um, and we've got everyone here very worried around that. I'm getting a little personal with you now. <laughs> I try to do this with all my guests because you're a young guy. You've got uh, a lot of success going with the, the, the company, and you're making the headroads. Uh, how's your sleep? How's your exercise? What What are your routines? <laughs> it's funny because I've been trying to trying to get better at that recently. <laughs> um, I, I used to be pretty bad, actually. I used to sleep probably four or five hours a night. Um, yeah. Recently, I, I think I've got it up to a solid six or so um, on average. Um, I've actually started tracking it every day just to uh, make sure I'm... What's your, uh, what's your track track? I just use a spreadsheet, actually. I just use Google Sheets. Okay. I'm not very sophisticated, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm, I'm in Google Sheets all day anyway, so it's easy to just uh, yeah. tag on one more thing. And what's your exercise routine? Um, so actually, um, gotten into playing squash here in, in New York, which huh. is not something I played growing up. Um, but it's just a killer way to get, you know, very sort of like focused forty-five minutes of exercise where right. you sweat your ass off, um, but you don't really realize you're doing it because it's competitive. Um, and then, um, and then you're done. So I've been, I do that uh, uh, two or three days a week uh, before work. Any books you're reading right now? Uh, good question. I'm actually, a little bit random, but. Um, reading a book called Powerful, um, mm-hmm. which is uh, by a woman named Patty McCord, who was kind of like the HR pioneer at Netflix. Netflix has like a very distinctive uh, around HR um, where they, you know, HR is sort of a field that I think historically has been a little bit staid and, and set in its ways. Right. And Netflix has done a ton of interesting stuff to turn a lot of that on its head. Um, and it's, it's a book that kind of like, you know, gives a little bit of insight into that, how and why they did that. So I'd uh, actually really recommend it. I also saw somewhere I read about you where um, you and I share a, sort of an app that we can't live without, which is Headspace, which is 
a meditation uh, app. Yeah. yeah, this guy Andy's voice is just so soothing. Uh, <laughs> so are you you're a big uh, meditator every day? Yeah, I try to I try to do it literally every day before work. And I've actually yeah. I hate to be cheating on Andy, but I've moved on to a new app <laughs> called Ten uh, Percent Happier. <laughs> oh yeah, with Dan Harris, I listen to the podcast. Sure. Yeah, it's good. He's he's good because he adds a little bit of humor and sort of. Uh, I don't know that the tagline is something like meditation for fidgety skeptics. And I would right. kind of put myself in like the fidgety skeptic right. class of like, I know I want to do this, but I also am not, it's not like I was, you know, came out of the womb, a uh, natural meditator. So it's a good way to kind of convince myself that it's worth it. Yeah. Speaking of uh, other podcasts. You're, uh, yeah. You're a big fan as well. Yeah. I'm a big meditator. I mean, I got into headspace and, uh, I probably should, you know, I'm that fidgety skeptic as well. It's hard to stay in it. But Dan Harris has also taught me that uh, coming out of it is actually part of the thing. So exactly. you're doing exactly what you're supposed point. to be doing. Yeah, it's the whole point, which yep. is really important to me to sort of get centered. Um, I'm trying to take it up from 10 to 12 to 15 minutes, but that keeps getting uh, put off. <laughs> <laughs> Baby steps. How about this? If you could tell your, pick a number, 20-year-old self one thing, what would that be? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, you know what? I think I'm a huge believer in the sort of power of programming and being able to program mm-hmm. when you want to build a technology company. So I'd always wanted to, to do a startup, and, and I've done a few now with um, – my friend Russ, who I mentioned before, um, and you know, going into it, I was, a, I was an okay programmer, but I, I wish that earlier on I'd invested even more time and just becoming a mixed outstanding technologist because I think it ultimately makes you just better at creating a, a technology company. And last question: uh, This is kind of a, speaking of other podcasts, the Tim Ferriss question. Um, <laughs> if you had a billboard that go out to hundreds, thousands, millions of people. What would you put on that? Oh, man. Well, obviously, it has to be a Seeky guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, that's, your, that's your business one. How about your personal one? Personal one, huh? Um, man. You know, I, I think the I'm, I'm trying to think, like, what the... Uh, kind of a defining principle of, like, of, of your life. Yeah, right? Um, yeah. I think, you know, to, to go off the thread we were just talking about, I've actually found meditation to be incredibly enabling, kind of powerful, mm-hmm. um, positive part of my life. So it would compel more people to do that. Um, I'm, I get really into kind of like the, the research side of psychology and, and research into human happiness and what sort of reliably makes pe- people happier. And it's interesting how so many things that we all think, you know, make us happier, whether that be wealth or um, you know, having a big house don't have a statistically significant impact and yet uh, something as simple as meditation does. So I think if uh, you can compel more people to do that on a billboard or otherwise, then it's, uh, it's a great thing. I agree on that one. Jack Retzinger, CEO, co-founder <laughs> of SeatGeek, which is certainly taking on Ticketmaster and disrupting the industry. It's been great to have you on the Business Sports Podcast. Thanks for being with me. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. This was fun. Hope you enjoyed listening to Jack Retzinger, CEO of SeatGeek, talking about taking on Ticketmaster, all the things they're doing. Interesting guy in himself. I got in to ask him some personal questions, too. I like seeing how young people are successful and sort of rise above the pack. 
as he has. Hope you enjoyed this episode. As all episodes of the Business of Sports podcast, you can hear it on iTunes. Give us a good rating if you would. Tune in, Stitcher, RossTucker.com, wherever you hear your podcasts. Follow me on Twitter, at Andrew Brandt. And I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found. If you love scratches from the Virginia Lottery, you'll love the high roller blackjack scratcher with a chance to win up to 10 times your prize. Look for it at your favorite Virginia Lottery retailer. In fact, you can drive there right now. Now that's an everyday win. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 4.16.